Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ardenfbc.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Hello, I want to welcome you to a special funeral, death's funeral. That's right, death has officially died. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to continue in our study of the book of Revelation. And today we're going to talk about how Jesus, since he defeated death in the grave, we now have the victory. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to be reading verses 9 through 20. Revelation 1, starting in verse 9, it says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, I was on the island called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega. I am the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then I turn to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He held in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell down at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am him who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Write these things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw on my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. Here's the mystery. He's going to interpret it for us. He's going to explain it. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. May God bless his word. So we want to welcome you to our online service. And yes, yeah, a little different. I'm in a graveyard today. And today we're going to talk about death's funeral. So I want to officially open this, this message by saying death has died. And you're like, how has death died? Death has died because Jesus has defeated death. And he's speaking to his church. He's speaking to the seven churches that are in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And we have John, who's been exiled on the Isle of Patmos. So today I want to give you four life-giving principles. And I want these just to soak in as we soak in this scenery of this graveyard. These are life-giving principles that you can apply to your life. 
And our goal in teaching Revelation is to be practical so you can apply it to everyday life. The first life-giving principle is this. Jesus is with us even when we find ourselves in hard times because of our Christian walk and witness. Notice that John says, I'm your brother and companion in the tribulation of Jesus Christ. What is the tribulation? It means that you're going to go through hard times. Jesus said in this world, not that you might have trouble, but you will have trouble. And he said, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So as John is on the Isle of Patmos, he finds that Jesus is with him. He finds that Jesus gives him this vision. And John's like, listen, I am your companion in the tribulation. I, I know what suffering's like. So I want to I reach out and speak to someone that's suffering today. God is with you and he's for you. You don't have to fear what you're going through if you know that God is with you in your suffering. He's there. So John says, I was exiled on Patmos. So I want to give you four benefits of suffering. So go ahead and write these down if you're taking notes. Four benefits. Sufferings have benefits, believe it or not. The first benefit is suffering develops your faith. The Bible says that whenever your faith has been tested, it has a chance to grow. It also clarifies your calling. In James 1, 2 through 4, James says, Dear brothers and sisters, whenever troubles come your way, let it be an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when it's fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So think about that. Suffering clarifies your calling. Suffering also grows your character. Whenever you have a clay pot sitting in the sun, it's just a common clay pot. But when it's refined through white heat, through the furnace, it has a chance to become porcelain. And the same is true for you. Another benefit of suffering is suffering expands your empathy. Whenever you suffer, you don't just feel sorry for someone. That's sympathy but you feel sorry with someone. That's empathy. So John found himself on Patmos. And I want you to encourage you that right now you may find yourself in a difficult place. Patmos was a rocky island for Roman prisoners. So John was, didn't deserve to be there, but he found himself on this island. And he's in his 90s, and he's working on a rock quarry. So what is your Patmos? What is your place that you didn't choose to be there? But think about it. If John had never went to Patmos, I want you to think through this, he never would have had the vision of the revelation. And we would not be reading it today almost 2,000 years later. So God can turn your suffering into your significance. He can turn your pain into your purpose. So as I stand in this graveyard with dead bodies all around me, I want to speak this life that no matter what you're going through, God can use the worst thing that happened to you and he can work it all together for good. Romans 8:28 says it like this that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So think about those benefits of suffering. All right, second life-giving truth. Are you with me? I know this is different in the funeral home, in the graveyard, in the cemetery, but hang with me. Number 2, Jesus has a unique purpose and plan for each church. So notice in verses 11 and 12 and verse 19, he identifies the churches and he has a message for these seven churches. And these seven churches are symbolized by a lampstand. And this lampstand, we're going to have a picture that's going to pop on your screen. This is the Jewish menorah. And the idea is that every church should be a light. 
Every church should be like the light of that community. So Jesus is walking through these churches and he says, listen, I know your works. I know what you've gone through and you need to let your light shine. And I just want to talk to you today, just me and you. I'm having this conversation with you, having a cup of coffee in your living room, driving in the car with you. You are called to let your glow show. It's time for you to be radiant. It's time to let the light of Christ shine through you. In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, you are the light of the world. A city that's set on the hill cannot be hidden. People don't light a, a lamp and hide it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand. And he says in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. So he's telling these churches, listen, you're, you're this lampstand and you're, you're to be the light. And then he mentioned seven stars. He says that there's seven stars on my right hand. What are these stars? Well, he uses the word angel. The word angel is the Greek word for messenger. So this doesn't necessarily mean angelic beings. It just means person that gives the message. So we've got to interpret it. What does this mean? Could it be an actual angel? Or is it most likely referring to the local pastor? Well, since he's holding these stars accountable, it's to the local pastors. So I want to encourage you, if you are a pastor of a church listening to this, if you've been called to church leadership, Jesus says, I hold you in my hand. And what that is encouraging is that he's given me guidance. He's given me direction as he's called me to lift up himself, lift up Jesus. He said, if I'm lifted up, I'm going to draw all men into myself. So as a pastor, it gives me courage to know that I'm in his hand and he's leading me and he's guiding me. He leads me so I can guide the local church. Isn't it good to know that Jesus has local pastors in his hands? That's so, so encouraging. So I just want to encourage you to pray for your pastors, pray for those in leadership, because Jesus wants us to listen to him. He holds us in his hand. The third truth we have is Jesus inspires all in worship to discover who he really is. Notice in verse 11, he says, I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the first and the last. So what he's trying to say is, listen, I am the one that's always been. He is the relevant one. He is the ancient of days. He refers him to himself as the son of man. This goes back to the book of Daniel when we see the son of man coming. And that was Jesus' favorite description of himself. So as I stand in the cemetery, I just want to speak hope to you that Jesus has defeated death. He's the one that's overcome. And because Jesus has overcome, you and I are called to be overcomers. We overcome the enemy because Jesus overcame in the first place. So he says, I am Alpha, I'm Omega. So he's saying, I'm God Almighty. And he says, I am walking through the midst of the churches. And friends, that's encouraging to know that Jesus is walking through the churches. And the question I have is as he walks through the churches, what is he gonna find? Will he find us being faithful? Will he find us operating out of love? Or will he find us cold as ice, as Laodicea in church. He's walking through the churches and he's looking for someone to be faithful. So I want to encourage you to think about that. He describes who he really is. And this is one of the only descriptions we have of the physical appearance of Jesus in the New Testament. So I want you guys to, to write these descriptions down. This is so powerful. What does Jesus look like? First of all, we see Jesus is the judge. In verse 15, 
He says he has feet like fine brass. And you're like, what is it like to have feet like fine brass? It's the idea that Jesus is the judge. And he's coming, first of all, to get the church in order. The Bible says that judgment or discipline first happens in the house of God before the world. So he's walking through the churches trying to get them where they need to be. He's the judge. He's walking through with feet of fine brass. And then it goes on to say, not only is he the judge, but he is powerful. He's powerful. Notice it says his voice is the sound of many waters. In just a moment, I want you to listen to the sound of Niagara Falls. We're going to play this for you. Sound of Niagara Falls. He says, "I the voice of many waters. What does that mean? It means that in Christ, all the streams of revelation flow together in him. He is all that we can understand about the world. He is the Logos. He is the visible invi- he is the visible image of the invisible God. Streams of water, you think of power. You think of authority. We got to listen to his voice. His voice is the sound of many waters. It's the voice of authority. So not only is he judge and he's powerful, but he's there with us. Notice he holds the seven stars. And then a sharp two-edged sword comes out of his mouth. What is the sharp two-edged sword? Well, Hebrews 4, 12 says that the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. So here's the idea that Christ walks with these feet of brass, his authority. He speaks with the voice of like many waters. He's powerful. He holds the seven stars in his hands. And then out of his mouth comes this sharp two-edged sword. And you're like, that seems strange. It's talking about the word of God. We will be judged by the word of God. So let us get under its authority. Let us embrace the word because at the end of days, we will be evaluated by the word of God. So Jesus is there for us. He's walking through the churches. But friends, there's one more truth I want to give to you. One more truth is Jesus holds life and death in his hands. So you no longer have to live in fear. I'll say that again. He holds life and death in his hands. Notice in verse 17, it says, When I saw him, this is John talking, in his vision, I fell down at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand on me saying, Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am him who lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. So I want you to think about it. Jesus holds the keys. And in my back pocket, I have something. What are these? These are keys. What does it mean to have the keys? Well, this is the key to my car. And this little doggy key is the key to my house. Whenever you have a key, it symbolizes that you have access. Usually it means that you own the place or at least you have access to the place. So when Jesus says, I have the keys of death and Hades, here's the truth. He always had the keys. It may have seemed like Satan was winning when sin entered the world, but Jesus all along, there was a plan. He has the keys in the beginning. He's always had it. Satan injected sin into the world. But who's really in charge? Who really has the authority? Jesus does. And because Jesus died and because he defeated hell, death, and the grave and rose the third day, guess what? You don't have to fear death anymore. So that's why I've entitled this message, Death's Funeral. And I want to make an official declaration that death has died because Jesus lives. Jesus gave death a death blow. Jesus defeated death. So listen, you and I no longer have to live in fear. 
You and I can walk in freedom. You and I can trust in him. We don't have to fear anything because as a Christian, we don't go from life to death. We go from life to a better life. So let's review today four basic truths concerning death's funeral. The first one is this. Jesus is with us even in hard times because of our Christian walk and witness. John is out on the Isle of Patmos because of his Christian walk, but Jesus was with him right there. Second truth, Jesus has a unique purpose and plan for each local church. In the upcoming weeks, I encourage you to study along with us. We're going to talk about the seven churches. And I want you to ask, which church are you most like? Which follower are you most like of the seven churches? Number three, Jesus inspires all in worship when we discover who he really is. He is Alpha and Omega. He is first and last. He is God Almighty. And the final truth is Jesus holds life and death in his hands, so we no longer have to live in fear. So today's big idea, today's big takeaway is this. The power of life and death are in Jesus' hands, so you can trust in his plan for your life. So today I want to encourage you, I want to close by this. Are you trusting in him? If, if, if death is defeated, if Jesus really has risen from the dead, are you living in fear or are you living in faith? At, in a moment, I'm going to pray for you. And first of all, I want to pray for believers. I want to pray that you will just worship Jesus for who he really is. I want to pray that you'll walk in victory. And if you're here today and you're still living in the graveyard, so to speak, yeah, you're alive, but you're not really fully alive. Your body's alive, but your spirit's never been brought alive. I'm going to give you a chance to receive Christ. It's really simple. It's believing that Jesus died for you. He rose again, and it's making the decision to follow him. So let's pray together. First of all, for the believer, I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Dear Jesus, I thank you for who you are. You are Alpha and Omega. You are the first and the last. And dear Jesus, help me no longer live in fear. But help me live in victory because death is defeated and you're alive. So please help me to live the victorious Christian life you've called me to live. As the believers continue to pray, if there's one here today that doesn't know Jesus, the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I want you to pray this prayer. Say, dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. I realize I need you. I need you to come into my life. So right now, I invite you into my life. I invite you to save me. I ask that you would forgive me of all my sins. I choose to follow you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross, for rising again and giving me this new start in life. I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, thanks for joining us in this most unusual location. Join us next week as we study the church of Ephesus about returning back to your first love. We'll see you next time.